Profiles in Teaching with Technology is a podcast series created by Music First, a company dedicated to providing world-class cloud-based tools, content, and classroom management platforms to music teachers around the world. Each episode features a K-12 music educator who uses technology to enhance their teaching in innovative ways. We'll discuss the what, why, and how of their technology integration and hopefully share some teaching strategies that you can use in your own classroom. For more information about Music First, please visit www.musicfirst.com. There you'll be able to find out about all of our platforms, as well as sign up for a free 30-day trial. Stephanie Langle is a music educator, clinician, author, and music education technology consultant. She is Associate Professor of Music Education at Berkeley College of Music, and also serves as the technology coordinator for the music education department. In addition, Stephanie is an adjunct assistant professor at the Boston Conservatory of Music, where she teaches music technology courses for the Masters of Music Education program. In addition to her teaching duties at Berkeley, Stephanie also currently serves as a course author and online instructor for the Vander Cook MECA program, University of the Arts Summer Music program, Central Connecticut State University Summer Music Institute, and the Music First Academy. For over 20 years now, Stephanie has presented at conferences at the state, national, and international level. She is the co-author of the Alfred Music Tech series, and has also authored dozens of articles in state and national journals of music education. Stephanie is one of my dearest friends, and I'm thrilled to welcome her to our podcast episode this week. Well, Stephanie, it is an absolute delight. My, I couldn't be any more excited to have you on our podcast. I have known you in, in the world of music technology. You are the first person I met uh, way back in the summer of 94 when you and I both taught at a summer camp in Asphalt Green. And I'll never forget, I, we had, I had to teach little kids and I'd never really done it before. And you said, get a guitar and learn how to play some Raffi songs. <laughs> um, and I, 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 we, we entered Teachers College together that fall in 94 and met Lee Whitmore soon thereafter. So I'm delighted to speak with you. You're one of my dearest friends and uh, welcome to our little podcast here, Stephanie. Oh, thanks so much, Jim. It is such an honor really to, to talk with you. Um, the podcast series is just phenomenal. I've been listening to a lot of them and it's, there's just so many wonderful teachers out there and I'm so glad that you're taking the opportunity to talk with them and and let people know what what good things are going on. In the uh, I really appreciate that. I, I think there's a lot to be learned in how other people are using technology because often you find yourself in a little island and you don't know what other people are doing and either you're trying to connect and online somehow but I really appreciate that uh, step very much. So yeah. the other cool thing is you are the very first non-K-12 person, even though you have some experience in that world. Um, you're currently uh, at, at Berkeley. So I'd love a Berkeley School of Music up in Boston. So I'd love to hear about your path, how you started teaching, how you got to Berkeley, and how you are one of the pillars of, uh, of music tech and education. Well, so, you know, going back to 1994, when we met uh, that fall, when we both went to Teachers College, uh, we both took a class with Lee Whitmore, who now uh, has gone on his own long path and is currently involved with the uh, Grammys in music education. But at that time, he was uh, 
the teacher of the technology class at Teachers College. That's right. So we were both in that class together with Lee. And one of the things that Lee also was doing outside of Teachers College was uh, he was the director of the newly formed Soundtree, which the which was the educational division of Korg, which of course you were part of that yep. also before uh, you b- became uh, Mr. Music First. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so part of me even wanting to go to Teachers College, because actually I had moved to New York uh, quite a bit earlier. Um, I don't know how many years before. You were originally from Pittsburgh, right? Originally from That's Pittsburgh. Right. And um, after I went to Duquesne University and I graduated in uh, 84 and I uh, moved to New York and I was going to go to NYU for grad school, uh, uh-huh. in music ed. And uh, I got to New York and I just didn't really, I, I wasn't in the head for grad school at that got point. It. And um I really was into playing and I met some singer songwriters and I kind of did that for a bunch of years. And then to support my musical habit, um, you know, I did all kinds of part-time jobs, but then I eventually went back to teaching and I taught privately for a while. And then I got, before I met you at Asphalt Green, I had uh, gotten a job uh, being the K-8 general music teacher at a school in Brooklyn. In Brooklyn, all right. <laughs> Brooklyn. Yeah, I lived in Park Slope at the time. And um, so then I was like, okay, I'm ready for this. And um, so then uh, fast forward, um, I decided to go to Teachers College instead of um, NYU at that time, honestly, because they did have a technology course. Yep. And the other thing was that I had met, um, Don Muro prior to that. And he was um, a lecturer at TC at that time. And I had arranged to do an independent study with him. And so that was another big thing for me to be able to do that. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So that was really, I learned a lot uh, from him that semester. Oh, he's the Mac Daddy. I, I didn't know that he taught there. That's so crazy. Yeah, well, I mean, he was a lecturer, so right, I don't right. know that he was actually teaching actively at TC. Yeah, he did like the he, lessons kind of thing. Yeah, well, I drove out to Long Island and hung yep. out with him, and he would give me these assignments to do, these composition challenges, and, um, you know, and then I would drive back out to his studio, and he'd give me feedback, and, you know, it was it was really cool. It's great. Um, so, you know, that's, so prior to that, I mean, I had been using technology myself. I'd been, you know, with the singer songwriter stuff that I'd been doing, I was using performer and I had my Mac and, you know, so I was, you know, fascinated about this idea of doing um, music creation with, with young people yep. using the computer. And, and then, um, at that time when we met Lee, I literally begged him to give me a job at Soundtree. Yep. And um, I begged and begged and begged. And then uh, I even 
went out to Long Island and met him at his office. And he's like, well, I don't know. And then one day I think he was short some people and he called me up and he's like, can you drive up to Rhode Island and do the Rhode Island um, MEA? This guy, Tom Rudolph is going to be doing a a session up there and I need you to, you know, set up the lab, which was, you know, keyboards at the time. Uh, It wasn't with computers, it was with keyboards. So uh, that sort of got me uh, going. Cool. Yeah. And, uh, and then I, I did work for Soundtree for quite a, quite a while and installing labs and I did the same thing. We were the same thing, (laughs) right? Absolutely. And, um, and you know, after I left teachers college, I was teaching, um, you know, middle school, high school, uh, in Brooklyn. And I actually started a music lab, (coughs) excuse me, where I was teaching. And, um, in all of that time, too, I also met David Mash. And, uh, there you go. And also that was, you know, and from meeting Tom, and that was also the beginning of time, no pun intended, but that's right. you know, technology that's right. for music educators, right? That was all happening right around that time, right? 1996, 97, or a little bit, even a little bit before. Yeah, 95 um, was when time started. So right, we right. back in the middle of our, our studies. <laughs> right, exactly. So um, I had met Dave Mash. Excuse me, I had a little tickle. And um, he uh, had been doing, uh, you know, those week intensive classes, which I still do in the summer. And he was doing them at Villanova at the time. <clears throat> and so in connection with Soundtree, I would go down there and I was, you know, Dave's assistant. Got a it. A couple of times. And... You know, fast forward, um, Berkeley, David Mash was responsible for applying for a grant for the Berkeley Music Education Department in the late 90s uh, called the PT3 grant, which was under the Clinton administration. It was the preparing tomorrow's teachers to use technology. Yep. And so he invited me to go up there the first year of the grant, and I did, you know, a couple presentations, and then uh the second year of the grant so that was 1999 the second year of the grant um i did the same thing just um i did some presentations and then in 2001 i actually he asked me if i would work at the grant a little bit more um regularly so i would got permission from my school to squeeze my full-time job into three days and wow. I worked in Brooklyn on Monday, Thursday, Friday, and I took the Acela to Boston on Tuesday oh. mornings and came back on the Acela late on Wednesday nights. And my very first day actually was 9-11. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Oh, timing. It was pretty heavy. It was a heavy-duty day. Absolutely. Crazy way to start that gig. But um, I, so I did that for the whole school year, and then... <clears throat> At the end of what would have been the Berkeley school year, not my my um, right middle school, high school school year, but the Berkeley school year, um, he invited me to actually work the last year of the grant as a full time person. And one of the things that came of the grant was a, a an additional faculty line in the department. And so I I was invited to go through that search and apply for the job. And so I moved to Boston in 2002 and 
uh, worked the last year of the grant and then applied for the full-time job and became full-time faculty in 2003. So you've been there 17 years-ish? Well, for, as full-time faculty, yeah. yeah. And then wow. but before that, I mean, I actually, if you count the whole time that I've been there, I'm going next like 20. year, I'm going on 20 years out. Wow. <laughs> now, I, do you know, I don't think I ever told you this, Steph, but do you know that I was a teacher in that PT3 grant at Ramapo College in New Jersey? I used to go and and I was one of the participants. So I was one of the people, you know, one of the school teachers coming to be Oh, cool. Trained. I didn't know that. No, it's wild. Uh, Mac Randall at, at Ramapo oh, yeah. College. Yeah. So many, oh my goodness. So many connections. In many that's connections. A, that's yeah. a very, very cool path. I love, and and for any um, any teacher listening and and I will say that I get a lot of teachers ask me like, oh, how do I, how do I break into the corporate world? It really is just the right place, the right time, the right connections. Um, and then the stick to the, the, Hey Lee, what can I do? You know, I did the same oh, yeah. type of thing. It was just, and I never took no for an answer. And if, yeah. if you, said, you know, I can give you a hundred dollars to write an article. I was like, okay, I'll do it. Right. So, exactly. You know, uh, yeah. Right. I mean, cause you know, we both got involved with time and I was the editor of the newsletter for a bunch That's of right. years. Oh my goodness. Yeah. All that stuff. And yeah, it's really, um, you know, you kind of get your sights set on stuff and yep. you're right about the synchronicity of things though. You know, there yeah. was just so much stuff going on at that time. I mean, certainly it's continued, but at that time it really was exploding. Quite unique, yeah. yeah. You know, and um, I feel really lucky to have been uh, a part of it at that yeah. time. It's a little bit of history really. No, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. I feel that I, I literally feel like, you know, being born in late 60s, right around 70 is like the perfect prime time for this kind of technology boom that happened in education. So right, uh, right. very, very cool. So um, that's great, Steph. I, I really appreciate it. Um, I'd love to figure out, though, I mean, so did your interest in music technology stem from being a singer songwriter and using it to record or or how did yeah, you get that into, into your teaching of kids? I'd love to hear that kind of hey, I think I'll teach with technology in my classes. Yeah, I mean, it really did stem from that. And um, and you're a digital I performer person? I just, I'm sorry, say it again. You're, you're a digital performer person? Well, I, wa I was oh, back then. Yeah, I mean, they're, that, they're like hardcore. Was, <laughs> right, I mean, not, I, not so much anymore. Right. But um, uh, I, I definitely was a performer person then. But also at that time, um, you know, the tools were changing a lot and the music shop was, you know, yep. I, I remember when I met Tom, I mean, he was all over that, you know, and, um, I think meeting Tom actually was really incredibly pivotal for me. Yeah, he but was likewise. And I think that the more I got to know him and, he was just so generous always with his knowledge and his time. And um, I just learned so much from him. And the more I was able to learn from him, the more excited I got about it. Because my original um, draw to it was from my own music making. And then thinking, okay, I'm gonna go back to school and I wanna see how this all fits in. Um, but then, you know, it just sort of 
started to unveil itself, you know, starting at Teachers College and then doing all that work at, through SoundTree and, and, you know, being able to collaborate with Tom and, you know, work alongside him sometimes and also just him being a, a huge mentor. I worked on the second edition of his book with him. Um, I had done the CD-ROM for the book and you know, so the more, he was a huge influence for me. Yeah, I mean, we, you and I have a very, very similar path. I mean, it's yeah. same here. In fact, Tom's uh, presentation style, I, I still mimic. I, you know, that's the yeah, way I am. Was, I mean, there's, it's kind of, there's nothing better in a certain way. He just really understands i mean he did his uh his phd in adult learning yeah i know tom yeah. rudolph if you're listening we love you we and love we, you. we, we want to <laughs> hang out soon that's great so in, in, in a way you you kind of um a similar thing you know you're 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 around the stuff you use it and you just try to figure out like how can i use this with my kids nobody's telling you to do it you just no not at all right it wasn't a thing I, back then i mean in the school that i was in i mean i got I started with, you know, a couple X5Ds and a couple pair of headphones that I had to set up every single class. Yep. Same thing for me. You it's know, not a river. I had to break know, the lab down. Had to do that. <laughs> yeah. And then just slowly was able to convince them to let me have a class because I actually, you know, also taught in the computer department and, you know, yep. <laughs> helping kids learn how to type and, you know, uh, Hypercard and, and doing that kind of thing. Yeah, I remember Hypercard vividly. Yeah. I, did a, I did a whole independent study building a music history Hypercard stack. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh goodness <laughs> gracious. All right, so because, um, Steph, if I can shift the conversation a bit, because sure. the, the walk down memory lane I could do for another hour, uh, but the I would look, because you're a, you're a higher ed person, I was up there at Berkeley. I've always loved coming to the campus, and I love seeing you, and I love hanging out and seeing your students and speaking with them. But one of the things I'm really impressed about um, at Berkeley, specifically in the music education program, is that that music technology kind of integration course um, is required for the undergrad music ed students. And I think that's the exception, not the rule for most uh, music ed programs across the country. Um, I'd love to get your kind of take on why it's important for undergrad music educators to get that tech class and the kind of stuff you do with them would be great to hear. Well, so uh, we actually have two required classes. And to be awesome. honest with you, um, I was able to originally model those classes I, off of um, what, you know, the time strategies yep. that have been developed. Right. And so the idea is that there are all of these different areas that are important for music educators to be aware of in terms of technology. And so the first class that I teach and um, I will say that one thing that is a little bit frustrating for me is where the classes happen in the grid. Um, and, you know, our music ed majors, it's actually a nine semester major at Berkeley. So it's, um, you know, it's a very packed um, right. degree program. So my classes actually fall very early in the grid. And so the students haven't had any methods classes yet. And so they haven't done any lesson planning or anything like that. So I try to build um, lesson planning evaluation and and activities into the classes as much as I can but the first class really focuses on music creation tools so 
pretty much, you know, DAWs and notation. Right. And then, of course, because things have, um, you know, grown so much, and now we're obviously using a lot of cloud-based stuff, and, you know, there's um, some creativity-based websites. I include those as much as much as I can. So it really, they're survey courses. I, I try to get as much as I can into each class. So the first one's music creation. And then the second one kind of is um, two purposes. One is that uh, the students develop a digital portfolio in that class that uh, in the form of a Weebly website that then takes them through the rest of their music ed degree. So each uh, methods teacher and conducting and uh, etc. Each teacher um, has the students kind of put their best practices from their class into that portfolio. So by the time they get to the proficiency exam, which happens before the pre-practicum, all of that stuff is in one place. Uh, their their best work from from their classes. Do you know that I have my second music technology course do exactly the same? We are literally two people <laughs> living in two different parallel same person in two different cities. They literally do the same thing. You, must, you just have must be my brother They're, or something. Yeah. You know? but, but yeah, so so we do that, and then it's it's kind of like all of the other things. It's you know the ed tech tools. Um, it's we do podcasts. Thing, and we do yep. blogging and we do screencasting and you know other kinds of video when I can fit it in I mean you know I try to mix it up um, but there's just there is really as you know if you try to think about the gamut of everything that you want them to at least have an awareness about it's a pretty broad yeah and uh, let me let me get your take on this because I've heard I you know you and I have been talking to music educators it feels like 30 years but it, it's been a long time that yeah. we've been trying to convince them that, that you really should be integrating technology and and, and what a, a common thing I hear and I'd love to get your take on it is that oh well the kids that are coming out the young ones coming out of school they they know how to do this it's like you know this that's eventually every teacher is going to be using technology wouldn't you agree that that is absolutely not the case, that the young ones coming out, I mean, no, no knock on your students or mine, but just because they're young doesn't mean that they know how to integrate technology effectively into their classroom. Oh, 100%. I agree with you 100%. I mean, they don't know how. And they don't, they don't know how to, they know how to use technology for social media. Yep. Um, you know, I mean, it's, probably a lot more than I do at this point because I've grown to dislike social media. I'm in the same, I'm in the same boat. But um, they do not know how to actually be productive and organized and creative and how to use those tools to facilitate that in others, whether it be, you know, young children or middle school, high school students, or even to the point where maybe you would be offering professional development or whatever, you know, it's um, just because you know how to turn on your computer and do your email and go online and do all that kind of stuff doesn't mean that you have the, um, the mindset of how to use it um, as a way to teach and as a way for your students to learn. Yeah. I mean, when, when I, I am the strongest advocate for like a technology methodologies class. If I know that doesn't, yeah. It's too many hours. That's what time tried to do. 
Yeah, well, you know, the, the, the bottom line is, is that these kids that are graduating without any type of tech integration, this is just a, a sweeping statement. So any first, second year teachers listening, I hope you're not in this bunch, is that they're just so worried about just getting like, hey, get me through the year. I, I don't know what I'm doing. It's like this kind of, you know, fight or flight kind of, I remember my first year, I had no clue what I was doing. And so technology was the last thing in my mind. It was like, like, how do I get my kids to line up and be quiet and, and, and like, and sing songs without hitting each other rather than, oh, what was, what would be the best way to bring in, uh, in, in you know, Incredibox into my lesson? That wasn't even a thought. So right. I think without that kind of formalized um, class, like the two that you're teaching at Berkeley, um, it just gets, you know, thrown off. And, and there's so many people in their 20s that are teaching that have no idea how to integrate it. They just don't. Right. Well, and the other thing that I would say, and I am starting to see this now, is that there are some strong programs out there. And mm. I mean, we know people who are teaching those strong programs. Yes, you know? absolutely. Um, there's a lot of really excellent teachers using technology. Um, yeah, there, so are, there, are, there are like two dozen programs in, in my, that do a great job with technology in the undergrad. Right. And. Um, well, and I'm talking about even, I'm talking about high school programs. Oh, like, yeah. Some yeah really strong high school programs. So what I'm starting to see now are students that are not a whole lot, but I'm, I'm starting to get a handful of students that have come from a really strong high school oh, interesting. program. They want to go into music education, but so they know how to use you know, logic, or they know how to use Ableton, or that, you know, they come in and they've had some note flight or, you know, whatever in their school. So they think they know how to do all this stuff, but they still don't know how to think about it from a pedagogical perspective. Yep. Yep. You know, that's and so you said that kind of student is even a little bit harder. Right. Because they're coming in thinking that they know what they're doing. And in a sense, they do. I mean, it, it makes it so that, I mean, I can, I only have so much time to skill build with them. Yep. So. Yeah. So, so it sounds like you're giving them a really good, I mean, all the project kind of things that you're doing with them, you're really giving them real world applications and hopefully, you know, you throw everything but the kitchen sink at them. Hopefully they'll pick one or two or three of those things and use them in their teaching. At least I'm sure that's what you hope, but you, you've got sure. some rock star students. I love this spending time with them. Yeah. They're, they're a good bunch for sure. And they, um, they love it when you come. <laughs> oh, I, I, well, I, I can't, you don't have to twist my arm. I love coming up. So, yeah, no. All right, so I'm going to shift totally the conversation and then, and cause I, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I, I really appreciate it. Um, so the cool thing is, is that I, you know, you, you and I are, are longtime friends. So when I launch music first, you're like, all right, I'm bringing it up to Berkeley. So I'd love to hear um, what you do with music first. I think you're just using no flight and Soundtrap in the music first classroom with your students. Right. I don't know what you're doing yes. with them. Right. So, um, we, you know, we, uh, Look at no flight and soundtrap. Just, I mean, we're using music first as a way to access them. So, you know, we're doing some skill building. We do a lot of different projects with both no flight and soundtrap. But the right. other thing that I uh, do with them is that I um, have them function as a student in music first for a while. 
And some of what I give them to do, I do set up through Music First and have them access, you know, a lesson through Music First. And some some stuff I just is for skill building purposes. So I don't do it that way. But right. then I also um, make them teachers so that oh, they that can really have cool. access to the the teacher interface. And then that way, because my students don't um, have any lesson planning training yet, one of the things that I really try to do is look at curriculum from as all of the people that I respect, you know, um, Scott Watson and Barbara mm. Friedman and Amy Burns. And there's lots of other people online that right. are so generous of making their, uh, you know, Torrington High School and, you know, others. Yep. Uh, and so one of the things that's great about making them teachers in Music First is that there's just amazing content in there with all of these models of really good lesson plans. So we can look at those things and examine them and look at how is this technology really being used to facilitate whatever musical concept it's focusing on, right? So you're, you're having them look over the content library. It, it, I, the, a smile a mile wide, because, you know, I think I'm so proud of that library and, and I'm not, I don't, well, we, we, we kind of know on clicking um, that it, it isn't the most popular part of our, our site and, and it makes me sad sometimes because there's so much good stuff in there. So it's nice yeah. to know that the kids are seeing it. Yeah, it's, it's great stuff. And I'm, I mean, they need to see what, what's out there, you know, um, yep. I just have them for such a short amount of time and, you know, um, I do love it when I see some of it also popping up for them in their elementary methods class or more, more so in their secondary methods classes when they're doing projects, their lesson planning projects, and they come back to, um, you know, use some of the stuff that we did in our oh, class. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's cool. Very. Uh, all right. So again, I could, I could chat and chat and for hours. I'm looking at the clock going, oh my goodness. Um, so I got a couple more questions for you, Steph. The, the first one, and, and I think, uh, you know, you were so well positioned to ask this question because um, you've trained probably thousands and thousands of teachers with technology, is what advice would you give to any teacher who's thinking of using technology and maybe a little hesitant or maybe not sure or a little uncomfortable. What, what, what kind of pieces of advice would you give to a teacher? Well, I mean, I think there's a lot of things. Um, and some of it would be the same things, the same kind of advice that I would give pre-service music educators too, in a certain way. But I mean, I think first of all, it has to be driven by the curriculum. So, I mean, there's just no question that that has to be, um, what is the driving factor? Uh, and then looking at various types of technologies and what do you have access to? I mean, we are seeing more and more one-to-one -one Chromebook happening. And um, so, you know, what, what are you going to have access to and how is that going to, you know, embolden what you're doing in your curriculum, right? Yeah. And if you're um, keeping curriculum first, I mean, the, I, I, don't, I, I don't know if I told you this, I'm, I probably did, but the reason I called Music First, Music First was say exactly what you just said. It must be about the curriculum. It has to be about teaching music first, and then you let the curriculum dictate where technology fits in and, and where it doesn't. Yeah, and honestly, it's, if, if you're coming from that perspective, then I kind of feel like everything follows from that because there is no shortage 
of ways to learn about the technology itself. Right. Right. I mean, there's, you know, uh, just online alone between YouTube and all that stuff, there's excellent books that have been written. There's, you know, people writing excellent articles all the time. There's excellent PD, there's summer courses, there's all kinds of ways to really take a deep dive, but you have to figure out what, what do I want to, you know, what do I need this for in my curriculum? And yep. then once you figure that out, then you start small and you, you know, slowly start to integrate it into, you know, maybe it's just going to be one lesson or two lessons a, a quarter or yep. whatever, you know, but you have to figure it, figure it out from your curriculum first. Yeah. And, and I know, you know, the SAMR model and I, and I think yeah. when you and I were at, at TC, it was all about Bloom's taxonomy to me right, right. that you're always trying to reach for that creative, you know, how mm -hmm. do I get my kids, how do I get my teachers to get their students to be creative with all the different technology tools? Right. Out there? Exactly. Right. I, th I mean, I'm sure you've had amazing experiences where kids just look at you with these wide eyes and like, thank you. Yeah. Because you've unlocked something in their brain where they just didn't know they could be creative with it. Right. Exactly. I hope all teachers experience that at some point in their career. Yeah. It's a special moment. Um, all right. So my last question for you and, and Steph, you know, incidentally, uh, you, you've done a lot of stuff for music first, um, you know, wrote the, the no flight and soundtrap, uh, certification courses. So if anybody's interested in the music first Academy, um, where you can get training for no flight and soundtrap, that's Stephanie. So, um, and, and I, I love the fact that, that we're still working together all these years later, but, um, this this last question, which I ask of everybody, is is not necessarily music first specific, but it can be. Which is the if you could wave a magic wand question, and and really because we're you know we've had so much experience together, uh, what do you wish the technology could do, or anything, maybe training or anything that it can't do now that would really make you know everything just a whole lot better in terms of uh, music and technology. Well, you know, I really thought about this and um, my answer where I, where I come down on this is that it doesn't have anything to do with technology. And what I mean by that is that I think what really is necessary at this point is access and the time in the curriculum so that teachers can actually give students the opportunity to be creative on a more consistent basis. Oh, well said. Well said, Stephanie. <laughs> you know, oh, um, my goodness. I mean, the technology, uh, what else do we want it to do? I don't know. <laughs> exactly. Like uh, fold our, fold our clothes when it's under the law. But, yeah. Like we're blink and it'll, you know, automatically open or, you know, I don't know. It's like, I don't, I, I honestly think it really has to do with, you know, how many students can have this technology in their hands with a teacher who understands how to help them express themselves and find a voice and be creative? Oh, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I think that, I, you know, the access thing for me is I, I always say that I built music first with three things in mind, access, assessment, and affordability. Yeah. Um, and, and it speaks to a lot of what, I mean, we, are, are literally on the same wavelength, uh, you know, 
time after time, the ability for, because you taught in Brooklyn, you taught in the inner city, you, you know, you're teaching in Berkeley. And I bet when you, when you, I, do you have to go watch student teachers? Do you ever go out in the field and do that? I or? have gone out in the field. That's not part of my, my weekly job there, but yeah, I definitely try to get out into the field because I mean, I, I, I need that for myself to yeah. stay current anyway. But you know, but you see the technology haves and the have nots is my yeah, point. You see definitely. it vividly. And I my first year of teaching was in the was in a very challenging inner city school district, and then the next was the most affluent school district. And it really struck with me that that giving access is number one, regardless of socioeconomic status. Right. Getting it in their hands and, and every single kid has a phone. So that's the easiest path. But the other side of it is what I love what you said is giving teachers the time in their curriculum to allow for creativity. If anybody who's listening uh, has not tried doing creative activities with their students, I think you'd agree, Steph, that it takes time. Time is the most important thing when it comes to that. You can't say, compose an eight measure melody with quarter notes using skip steps and leaps. And when you're done with that eight measures, you're done. You did creativity. Now let's move on back to, you know, learning when, Bach, what year Bach died. You know, it, it, you have to give the time and dedicate it because it's so worth it. The rewards on the other side with kids, you know, that finding their creative voice, finding the, and it, not every kid's going to find it, but if they do, it's just, you've, you've really opened up a world for, for the rest of their lives. Um, and it takes time, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, and when it happens, it's, it's really exciting and affirming. It's like, okay, this is, if, even if it's just going to be one or two kids that, you know, really take to it and really, you know, start to, you know, have a shift in their identity almost, you yep, know, yep, um, absolutely. It makes it all worthwhile. So. Oh, well, that, that's a perfect way to end, uh, end our little interview here, Stephanie. I adore you. I can't, I'm so happy you spent the time chatting with me. I hope our listeners uh, enjoyed the conversation as well. And uh, anytime you want me to come up to Berkeley, just all you have to do is uh, ask. I'll be there with bells on. Well, thanks so much, Jim. And I just wanted to thank you for all that you do for our profession because it's huge. And oh, I appreciate that very much. No, I, I mean it. And you really impact a lot of people and you've um, you spread the good word. <laughs> you know, <laughs> That's right. uh, of, of music and how, you know, we can use these tools to the best uh, advantage that we can to, you know, give students the opportunity to learn about themselves musically. So, I, you know, thanks for all you do too. I appreciate I, re I really appreciate that, Steph. Well, uh, I look forward to seeing you soon and catching up and finding out. We, we, we always trade stories about our kids and I, I can't wait till the next time I see you. Yeah, for sure. Thanks so much, Jim. All right. Take care, Steph. Take care. Thank you for listening to Profiles in Teaching with Technology from Music First. For more information about Music First, please visit www.musicfirst.com. If you would like to stay up to date with other music teachers doing innovative things in their classrooms with technology, please subscribe to our podcast through whatever outlet you listen to podcasts on. Thanks for listening.